we were weak, exhausted, worn out, but we'd been told that a ransom payment was waiting in this elusive village that we couldn't find, and what we didn't know was there was no village, there was no ransom, and we were wandering around lost, and the military saw our footprints early that last morning, and we sort of realized it, and we kept mobiling, and found food that day, unripe fruit growing, and we just gorged ourselves with it. For 17 years, Gracia and Martin Burnham served with New Tribes missions in the Philippines, where Martin was a jungle pilot, delivering mail, supplies, and encouragement to other missionaries, and transporting sick and injured patients to medical facilities. Gracia served in various roles supporting the aviation program. She also was a homeschool mom of their three children, who each were born in the Philippines. On May 27, 2001, while celebrating their 18th wedding anniversary, the Burnhams were taken captive by a militant group of Muslims called Abu Siof. In addition to the Burnhams, the group seized several more guests and took them to Basilan, a stronghold for this group. Today, we welcome Gracia Burnham to Mid-South Viewpoint. She's one of the featured speakers at the Voice of Martyrs Conference, Saturday, August the 10th, coming up 9 to 4 at Cross Point Baptist Church. We want to give you all the details, but before we do, Gracia, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me today. So glad to be with you. We were talking before we started here, and you've got a connection. This is pretty neat, I think. Your father, did you say he's 95 years old now? My dad's 95. He sure is. Your dad, Norvin Jones, 95 years old. But back when he was 25 years old, fresh out of seminary, and he was a teacher here in Memphis at Mid-South Bible College. He sure was, and I hear those (laughs) stories all the time. That's our old stomping ground. Well, I wasn't even born yet, but um, I think I got named after a girl there at Mid-South. Pretty strong impressions on your parents then. I I guess so, yeah. They look on those days fondly. So you were definitely raised in a home that instructed you about faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, at an early age. I heard the gospel. A big thing in our family was family devotions. Every night we would all gather for song time and reading God's Word and praying, and if there were neighborhood kids in the yard, they came in, too. What happened at our house? Yeah, I grew up in a family of faith. I guess you also, as a young girl, remember hearing stories of missionaries, actually probably meeting real live, breathing missionaries. Yeah, we had missionaries in our home, and I used to love those books about Amy Carmichael and all those women who were so brave and went to places where other people didn't want to go. And yeah, I grew up loving missions, but never thought I would be one till I fell in love with Martin. (laughs) Well, that's what I want to hear next. How did you meet Martin? When did you first meet him? We were at Calvary Bible College in Kansas City, Missouri. It's Calvary University now. Martin had grown up in the Philippines, went to a missionary kids school, Faith Academy there in Manila, and his parents were tribal missionaries. And he came home and got his pilot's license and decided he needed Bible but before he went back to the mission field and came to Calvary Bible College. And we met there, and I just really liked him. Okay, Gracia, what was that initial attraction toward Martin? Well, I think it's that he just marched to the beat of his own drum, which is how missionary kids are. They aren't trying out to impress people. They're just who they are, and Martin could be the life of the party or 
sit back and let the party happen. You know, <laughs> uh, just a, a really genuine guy, a very nice guy. So I guess there was really no question as you came together and started seeing, hey, this was a relationship that was going to become a marriage, that you were talking about how you would spend your lives together. Sure. And I was thrilled that missions was on his radar because I'd always had an interest in missions, but just sort of didn't feel called to that. But I suddenly felt called to Martin, and I would have lived in Wichita, Kansas, while he worked at Cessna, if that's what God wanted. I just felt called to him, and I was so happy that it got to be overseas on the mission field. New Tribes Mission, tell me about that. How did you first hear about this work? They work with people, we used to call them tribal people, you know, people who are out in the middle of nowhere where no roads go. And to give your life to a tribal group, you don't just go in and three years later you're done. It's a lifelong commitment to a group of people because you have to learn their language and culture and oftentimes even write their alphabet that's never been written. And just start from the ground up and new tribes mission does that very well new tribes has changed their name recently i don't know if you know that they are ethnos 360 now we needed to get rid of mission because we're in some closed countries and people don't want to be called tribal anymore we're ethnos 360 ethnos ethnicities and 360-degree circle around the globe. Gracia, what about raising that support? You know, I told you prior to the, going on the mic here that our family were missionaries with Transworld Radio back in the mid-'90s, and we had to raise the support we would need to be able to go to Guam, where we served for three years. How long did it take you and Martin to get the support you needed? Well, not very long, because I married a great man of faith, and that's <laughs> what nobody wants to face, right? Raising support thing. It's daunting, and it's horrible. We started going through the phone book, and Martin made a couple calls, and, you know, that didn't lead to anything. And then he put the phone book down. He said, you know what? We're going to trust God to get us to the mission field, and once we have the ticket money, we're just going to go. Back then, they let you do that. A church got on board and had spaghetti dinners and bought our tickets to the Philippines, and we just went. And when people saw that we were truly going, the support just started coming in, and we didn't really have to go around and raise support. I wouldn't recommend it, maybe, unless you're a great person of faith. But So what was the biggest adjustment that you had to make once you got to the Philippines? Oh, probably the heat and the heat and the bugs. Well, and being the odd person, right? The person who doesn't know the language and the person. But a smile and a hug and loving people goes a long way, even if you're not speaking the same language. I learned that. Well, did they speak Tagalog or another language? There are 80 languages in the Philippines. The main one's Tagalog, you're right. And But you can go down the road and there's a whole different language two hours down the road. So they all knew how to visit with each other from neighboring tribal villages. But of course, we were in the dark. So what about pansit and lumpia? Did you enjoy those dishes? Oh, I loved pansi and <laughs> I make good lumpia. Oh, And yeah, you can come to my house for Filipino food. I've got to do that. <laughs> so as you mentioned, Martin was a jungle pilot with this organization. So did you often get to fly with him to some of these remote areas? Not often. When a missionary would ask the plane to come, of course, they had all the things they needed for a month. Their, all their food, their medicine, their homeschool materials, you know, even 
fruit trees that they were going to plant in the village or whatever they needed, they filled the plane up because they were paying for that flight. So it was very few and far between that I got to go into tribal villages. Of course, we did. I was not on the cargo list very often, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Gracia, you and your family served for 17 years. During that time, did you ever feel threatened or fear for your life? Oh, no. Filipinos are wonderful people, loving, caring, kind, all the good things that you think of about a group of people, that's what Filipinos are. Of course, we were careful. There were spots that the American embassy would send out and say, you know, this is a hot spot right now. Peace and order is not good. Don't go there. And we always obeyed those travel advisories. And But no, we never really looked over our shoulder much. On May the 27, 2001, you and Martin were celebrating something special, your 18th wedding anniversary, when this militant group of Muslims held you and your husband captive, and I believe there was others staying at this resort. Take us back to that point and describe what you were doing when you first encountered these men. Oh, yeah, we were down there to do some work, actually, down on the island of Palawan, and went out to the resort. We were just going to be there a few hours. And while we were there, you're right, this militant Muslim group stormed Dos Palmas. And, of course, everyone in the Philippines knows who the Abu Sayyaf are. They're sort of militant Muslims who've declared jihad in that area of the world. But their jihad has sort of degenerated into a kidnapper ransom group. And So they broke into our room and took Martin right out, and then one came over the bed and, you know, lowered his weapon and yelled, go, 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 and I grabbed clothes and threw them on, and they took me out, too, and they were emptying all of the cottages that were built on stilts out over the water, taking us to a waiting speedboat, and as we pulled away from the dock, they raised their weapons and Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, and we knew we were in big trouble, and for more than a year, yeah, we were in big trouble. Well, was it primarily due to being American that you were taken captive? Or no, no, we were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. They took about 20 of us, three Americans, the rest were Filipinos who were there at the resort. I'm sorry to say they beheaded the American about a week into our captivity, just to prove a point, just to prove that they were serious about their jihad. Is this something they did in front of you? Not in front of us. We heard it, but I think even in that moment, God gave us real grace to not really understand what was going on. At that point, the Abu Sayyaf were really mad at the government negotiator in Manila because he had sort of insulted the leader, and we heard him on the phone say, if you don't get us a new negotiator within 72 hours, we will kill one of the white people, one of the Americans. You know, Martin and I thought it would be one of us, because we were the Christian missionaries, and we had our speeches all planned. You know, Martin was going to say, take me, Gracia, you don't want to kill a woman, and I was thinking, I'm going to say, take me to kill me. Martin's stronger than me. And But at the end of 72 hours, we were in a gun battle and hiked one of the hardest hikes we ever took. And that evening, they just came and got 
the businessman from California and said, the leaders want to talk to you. And he'd been wounded in the gun battle, and we thought, oh, they're going to fix him up or take him out because he's been wounded. And we heard a scuffle down the hill, and the next day we realized they had followed through on their threat. Yeah, there was nothing nice about the situation we just suddenly found ourselves in. And how were you treated, and where did they take you? Well, it could have been worse. You know, they took us on the speedboat out into the water, and hours later they commandeered a fishing vessel so we would have more room. And we were on that fishing vessel three, four, maybe five days till we got to another island, a Muslim stronghold of Basilan. And from there we just started hiding from the Philippine military, who, of course, was trying to rescue us. We would just move. They called it mobiling. We would just move all day long, just hike and mobile and, you know, stop and have a meal if there was anything to cook, cooking bananas or rice or whatever, and constant moving, never clean drinking water. We would just drink dirty river water that we cupped in our hands as we walked through streams or rivers. And so, of course, that led to sickness and never enough to eat and sleeping on the ground with the critters and watching the atrocities, too, that these guys committed as we went through villages because they weren't nice to the villagers, even if it was a Muslim village. They seemed to just be very fierce. So it, it was just a bad situation, and of course, they handcuffed Martin. One of the leaders led him around so he couldn't escape, and I wasn't going to try to escape without Martin. Did you ever think, Gracia, that God had forsaken you and worry about never seeing your children again? I did think that quite often, in fact. It's like I was on a roller coaster of emotions. In one moment, I would think, you know what? God knows exactly where we are. This is in his plan. He has got this. He's good. He's taking care of us. And it seems like in the next few minutes, I would just go down to, God even know where we are? We're going to die here in the jungle, and nobody's even going to know what happened to us. And it's like this roller coaster I was on. And week 10 was especially really bad. I think we'd given God about six weeks to get us out of there. And when six, you know, turned to seven and eight and nine and week 10, I just had a real crisis of faith. I thought, you know what? God doesn't love me. That led to depression and just being so upset. And one day Martin said, Grace, I'm just so sad that you're giving up your faith like this. And I said, oh, I'm not giving up my faith. I still believe that God made everything. And Jesus purchased salvation for us, but God doesn't love me, or I wouldn't be in this mess. And Martin said, oh, gracious, seems to me you believe it all, or you don't believe it at all. He said, you need to decide what you believe. And he started quoting scriptures on God's love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself, for God so loved the world. He just kept quoting those verses on love, and I thought, okay, this isn't working for me. I'm in this horrible spot, but I'm going to trust that God loves me, 
and that he works all things together for good to those who love God and kind of just made a, a decision right there. And, of course, that doesn't mean that I never doubted him and I didn't have days of depression, but I needed to make that firm decision in about week 10. On the afternoon of June the 7th, 2002, another attempt to set you and your husband free by the Philippine Army. Gracia, what about the other captives? At that point, from the original group of people that were taken with you, how many of those were left? At the end of our captivity, there were only three of us. It was me and Martin and Edebora, a lovely Filipino nurse, a lady Filipino. You call her a Filipina. The three of us were the only ones left. Everyone else had gotten ransomed out. Late at night, they would take us and we would just sit. And then off in the distance, we would hear a motorbike on a distant road. And then they would take one of the hostages and they would just be gone. Then we would hear the motorbike leave down the road. And we thought, oh, that person's ransom came in, right? So one after the other, all the others got ransomed. A few of the guys escaped, and we were so proud of them. They escaped late one night during a gun battle when it was pitch dark. So at the end, it was just the three of us. But by that time, the Abu Sayyaf group had dwindled as well. There were only 17 of us. Everybody else had gone home because they were sick of it because they thought a ransom payment would be made. And Describe what was happening with your captives when they encountered the military on that June 7th afternoon. We were on day 10 without food, and I didn't know you could go that long without food. We were weak, exhausted, worn out, but we'd been told that a ransom payment was waiting in this elusive village that we couldn't find, and What we didn't know was there was no village, there was no ransom, and we were wandering around lost. And the military saw our footprints early that last morning, and we sort of realized it, and we kept mobiling and found food that day, unripe fruit growing, and we just gorged ourselves with it. And I told Martin, you know, I don't know how much longer I can do this, and he said, Gracia, Let's just keep going today. You know, maybe we'll get to go home. The military followed us, and always before when it clouded up to rain, you know, it's the tropics in the Philippines, we would stop to wait out the rain because we didn't think the military would press on in the rain, and that's what happened that day. started to rain, and we set up our little plastic sheeting to shed the water and keep dry, And the military, much to their credit, they didn't stop that day. They pressed on in the rain, and there was a gun battle, our 17th gun battle. I immediately was shot in the leg. Martin was shot, too. I looked over at him, and he was bleeding from his chest. And and I knew that leg wounds might heal, chest wounds don't. And he just lay there, and he died during that gun battle. And... After the Abu Sayyaf retreated down the river, they came and dragged me away, and then I looked back, and that's when I knew he was dead. Wow. Were there any last words to each other before he died? No, there weren't. There were no last words. But, you know, I got my last words in months before. I had a premonition. Well, we always thought we were going to die in there, and one day I told Martin, I need to say goodbye to you. I'm glad I married you. I'm glad we had a good marriage. I never regretted coming to the Philippines. I love this country. 
I just want you to know all these things, and I want to officially say goodbye to you. And he said, Gracia, this is not healthy. (laughs) He said, you shouldn't be doing this. We're going to get out of here. And and I said, I just really feel the need to do it. So I didn't have any regrets that day, you know, on the mountainside, because I'd said everything I needed to say. Yeah, it's not what we were asking for, is it? And it's not what the body of Christ here in America was asking for. They were begging on our behalf. And and I think of all the people all over the world who are being persecuted for their faith. We weren't even persecuted for our faith. We were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But how we're going before God and we're pleading for their lives and, and that God will do something in their hearts and that that he'll teach them and show them forgiveness and we hold them up before the throne of God and and we never hear these stories what God did in that hard time and I was just one of the rare ones I got to come home and tell my story and and let people know what God's done how some of these guys in a prison in Manila are coming to know Jesus so I got to come home God's been good to me and God's been good to my children. How soon after your rescue did you get reunited with your children, Jeff, Mindy, and Zach? It didn't take long. I was in the American Embassy in Manila. They had bandaged me up, and I was there meeting all the dignitaries, and I told them, either you need to get me home quick or you need to get my children here quick. And they said, we'll get you home. And who cared for the kids during that time? We are talking over a year. Yeah. As soon as we were taken hostage, the State Department and our mission agency, the children got sent to live with their grandparents who live here in Kansas near Wichita. Martin's parents, of course, were tribal missionaries. Martin grew up in the Philippines, but they were home on furlough. So the children came and lived with Grandma and Grandpa Burnham, and they just extended their furlough for that year and took care of the children. Gracia, what have you learned about your faith as a follower of Jesus through this experience in your life? Well, I've learned that my faith is very small. (laughs) We're all just walking a walk of faith, and we go face to faith. It's like God teaches us one thing, and then he teaches us another and another. Sometimes we even have to relearn these lessons of faith as we go through life. But faith to faith, yeah, I'm not a great person of faith. I think God should have chosen someone with mighty faith, right? But he chose me, a a weak person. But when we're weak, he is strong for us. Maybe we come to God trembling and, and haltingly, but that's still faith. We start off our Christian walk with a little bit of faith, and then we end up overcoming the world with our faith. And that's the Lord, right? Yes. God does that. He's the faithful one. Do you have a specific message for the church today as it moves towards the Great Commission that Christ gave us before he left this earth, and particularly the church in America? Well, we're all called to be a light, take the gospel somewhere, whether it's your neighbor or the other part of the city or to uttermost parts of the earth, right? So we're all called to do that. So we figure out how we can be strategically involved. Even if you live in Millington, Tennessee or Memphis, you decide what your job is, what has God called you to do to help reach the world, and you do it to the best of your ability, and God will do something awesome with it. 
Gracia, you have written two books, The Presence of My Enemies and To Fly Again. How can listeners get copies of these books? Well, they can go on my website, graciaburnham.org, order them there. You can order them through a bookstore. I'm sure you can go online. I don't know how to do that because I'm an old person, but they're out there. Or you can come to the Voice of the Martyrs Conference when I'm in Millington. And that's what we're here to promote. You're coming on Saturday, August 10th from 9 to 4 at Cross Point Baptist Church, 8850 Highway 51 in Millington. This is a free conference. You are one of the featured speakers. There is also Bob Fu, Peter Jessick from Sudan, Jonathan Ekman from Voice of Martyrs. There's going to be music. This is a free event, Saturday, August 10th from 9 to 4. There is a, a luncheon break from 12 to 1.15. You can pick your own nearby restaurant for that. But doors open at 8 a.m. There's a check-in reference place. If you want more information, you can go to vomadvance.com. Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry that is an incredible work that started as a result of a ransom out of Romania, Richard Vumbron. He was in prison for 14 years in communist Romania for his faith in Christ with his wife, Sabina. He was in prison for three years, eventually released, and that was the beginning of this global network of missions, Voice of Martyrs. They are helping the church to remember the persecuted church and to pray for the persecuted church and to give. So this is a great opportunity for you to learn more about Voice of the Martyrs dedicated to serving persecuted family worldwide. And they do this in an incredible way. And so this is one way through this conference. And I encourage our Bot Radio Network listeners, please, please attend. You will get a chance to meet Gracia personally. And you can get those books, like you said, Gracia, <laughs> at the conference, right? Uh, yeah, I love those conferences. To be honest, I'm the least of the speakers that day. And I've heard all of these people speak. And even the worship leader, Gilbert Hovsepian, grew up in Iran, and his dad was brutally martyred for his faith. The worship leader is amazing, so it's a wonderful day, and people won't be sad that they came. Gracia, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you for what you are doing for Christ's kingdom, telling the message of hope. I just hear this joy in your voice when you speak. (laughs) It's Jesus, I know. Mm -hmm, It is. Nice to meet you, Byron, my brother in the Lord that I've never met. That's what I love about these VOM conferences. You meet all this family that you didn't even know you had. Well, we welcome you to Millington again on Saturday, August 10th, 9 to 4. Please, friend, go to that website, vomadvance.com, to get more details. We want you to be sure and attend. Cross Point Baptist Church is the location. That's all the time we have. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. 